from WXOJLP Northampton, 103.3 FM, your Valley Free Radio Station. Welcome. I'm Warren Odestulet, and this is A Baha'i Perspective. Welcome to A Baha'i Perspective. I recorded an interview with Janina Leppert on June 18, 2018. Janina is a musician, clinical social worker, and author of two books. The first book is called Diamonds in the Rough, which is a young person's novel about a group of friends who discover what it means to live out one's faith in action and service to the community and come to understand that they themselves can be important agents of change in the world. Her second book is entitled The Fashioner, Reflections on the Role of Music and the Arts in Building a Global Community. We discuss both books in the interview, and she reads excerpts from each. I started the interview by asking Janina where she grew up, and what was religious life like growing up. I grew up in New York City, in the Upper West Side of Manhattan, and my religious life was very secular. We were secular Jews, so naturally I was always curious about religion, so the pendulum was swinging. When you say the pendulum was swinging, as you were growing up, you would swing toward a religious life and then swing back in another direction, or what did you, what do you I mean? was always searching, that's what I mean. My parents had no use for religion, but I did. <laughs> so what kind of searching did you do as you were growing up? Interestingly, they sent my brother, my twin brother, to an Episcopal school because they liked it. And that touched me very much. We would go there for, you know, events, and I just loved the cathedral and loved everything that went with it. And so that kind of it really caught my attention. I really didn't understand the concept of God. And I figured the God gene had just been left out of me. And then when I was 20, I heard my first Baha'i prayer. And I thought, this is what people mean when they talk about God. So how was it that you ran into this Baha'i prayer? My best friend was going to NYU, and she met some Baha'is, and they gave her a prayer book. That prayer attracted you to learning more about the Baha'i faith? Oh, yeah. It was really quick. That was, I think, April. It was spring break, anyway. And I came back to New York. I went with this friend to a Baha'i meeting, and I was hooked. So it didn't take you long to become a Baha'i? Not at all, yeah. which I'm very grateful for, because some people intellectualize for years. So I'm speaking with Janina Leppard, musician, clinical social worker, and author of two books. One's called Diamonds in the Rough, and the other's called The Fashioner, Reflections on the Role of Music and the Arts in Building a Global Community. Was Diamonds in the Rough your first endeavor in writing? Other than school papers and one professional article, yes. So why don't you tell us about Diamonds in the Rough? I still enjoy reading books for young adults, having read them, you know, when I was growing up. 
And so it was a very natural medium for me. This is a book for youth. The book is set up as a series of stories that are shared by members of a youth group. I just chose my favorite stories about different Baha'is who are pretty well known, some more than others, but whose stories touch me. What inspired you to write the book? I had always wanted to do some writing. So one thing led to another. I was thinking, well, it would make sense to write for youth, and I like stories. I like using stories to make points, and it really just kind of unfolded naturally. Do you have uh, an excerpt that you can read for us? So the protagonist in the story is a 15-year-old named Grant, and... The book opens with the first meeting of this youth gathering. Grant is curious about the concept of confidence versus self-esteem or lack of confidence versus low self-esteem. This is something that I've done a lot of thinking about, so it was a pleasure to put it into the book. So the youth group has been sharing a little bit about the life of Hand of the Cause, Dorothy Baker. A Hand of the Cause was a special designation for a few people who were very devoted servants to the Baha'i faith. Dorothy Baker was one of them. And so Grant goes and gets the book that's been written about Dorothy by her granddaughter. And this is the excerpt I would like to read. After promising his parents he wouldn't stay up all night reading, which he sometimes had a tendency to do, Grant started flipping through the pages. A name caught his eye, Louis Gregory. Mr. Gregory was a famous African-American Baha'i who had also been a hand of the cause of God, and Grant loved hearing stories about him. He read that when Dorothy was first becoming well-known as a Baha'i speaker, She went to Greenacre Baha'i School in Maine to give a course. After it was over, Louis Gregory approached her and said, That was a very good course, Dorothy. You thought so too, didn't you? What a shocker. Louis Gregory followed that comment with another one that stuck with Dorothy for many years to come. Remember, the moment you begin to think it is Dorothy Baker who is accomplishing this work, that moment your service to Baha'u'llah ends. Did Dorothy get angry at Lewis? Apparently not. She seemed to realize something important as she reflected on what Lewis, whom she loved and admired, had said to her. It was true. Just a moment before, she had felt quite content. But was it self-satisfaction or simply joy at being of service? He smiled. She blushed at the recognition that her self-satisfaction was not only present, but so strongly evident. Everyone must have seen it, all the people before whom she had been so proud just moments before. Then her embarrassment vanished, replaced by something worse. What difference did it make what others knew or didn't? The real horror was that it was true. Driving home from Greenacre, Dorothy's mind couldn't leave the words of Lewis Gregory. 
The strength she had felt from the praise of her audience dissipated instantly while standing there with him. The real source of strength, as he said, is absolute reliance on God, complete awareness of one's own nothingness, which negates individual pride but increases individual power a thousandfold. In the car alone, Dorothy made the decision never to give another talk without first begging God to strike her dumb rather than let her speak from self. Humility, unlike idle fancies of greatness that rush to fill quiet moments with disquieting suggestions, was not automatic. Lewis Gregory was right. Vanity had to be overcome. Now, what I'm reading here is an excerpt from the book From Copper to Gold. Okay, in the story, the character Grant is reading this book while he's thinking about the concepts of self-esteem and confidence. Okay? Understood. Okay. So just a little more from Copper to Gold, which Grant is reading in the book Diamonds in the Rough. It wasn't his words that triggered Dorothy's desire for purity of motive. She could have ignored his comments as a reprimand she didn't need. Had it not been for his manner, his gentleness, he spoke to Dorothy not as one who couldn't conceive of self, but as an equal, as a human being who battled self every day. That week at Greenacre, Dorothy joined forces with the truly great ones on earth, those who, regardless of their worldly station, whether well-known to others or known only to God, wish above all else to be of service to humanity. So that's the end of that excerpt. And then the chapter ends with, Grant sleepily put the book down, feeling as though he had found a perfect example of the answer to his question about humility and about his earlier anxiety. He realized he had much more to learn on this subject. I'll think about it tomorrow, he promised himself, as he drifted off to sleep, picturing in his mind the dynamic duo of Dorothy Baker and Louis Gregory, joined by William Sears as Grant most appreciated him, a little boy, precocious, mischievous, and relentlessly searching. We're listening to Janina Leopard read from her book, Diamonds in the Rough, and you mentioned William Sears, which is another what you call a hand of the cause. Correct. Uh, yeah. Right. Earlier in that chapter, there had also been a reference to Mr. Sears, who was another wonderful Baha'i who was designated a hand of the cause of God by Shoghi Effendi, the guardian of the Baha'i faith. Yeah. So, Janina, why did you pick that excerpt? Well, actually, it didn't go as much into humility and confidence as I had hoped, but it's a concept that's played with in other places in the book because I think sometimes confidence is considered to be somehow shameful, like it's conceit and not feeling ready to be of service and give oneself over to service to humanity. And I think that misunderstanding can lead to interpreting low self-esteem as being somehow praiseworthy when humility is the key ingredient to confidence. That's an important concept for me. 
Well, you know, that's a very interesting um, complementary set of attributes. One would think mm-hmm. normally that those would somewhat be somewhat diametrically opposed. When one thinks of humility, they think of somebody who's like meek and quiet. In some ways, you're redefining what humility is. This is the way I've understood it in terms of the feeling, the inside feeling. When one is feeling low self-esteem, they feel really bad about themselves, and the focus is also on self. When one is feeling humble, it feels really good, you know? You're at one with the world, and things are moving along, and you can function, and your focus is not on yourself. The focus is on what you're doing. And it reminds me of a, um, a quote in the Baha'i writings that says that, well, it's, I guess it's a prayer, it says, Oh God, make me a hollow reed mm-hmm. from which the pith of self may be blown so that I may be a clear channel from which... Thy love others. can flow into yeah. others, right. yes. Right, This idea of humility, I guess, is clearing the channel of self so that the divine inspiration can flow. From there, you can be... A mighty lion in the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Another example of that would be in the seven valleys and the four valleys, which are not necessarily developmental stages, but you can look at them and and see a piece of that when the last of the seven valleys is absolute true poverty and absolute nothingness, right? Mm-hmm. And it's the last of the seven stages which begin with search and love and knowledge and wonderment, contentment. It ends with true poverty and absolute nothingness. And then you go to the four valleys, and I think it's in the second of the four valleys. No, it's in the first of the four valleys, where Baha'u'llah, the prophet founder of the Baha'i faith, says, on this plane... The self is pleasing to God because it's a capital S. Mm -hmm. Referring to the... So it's like the the divine divine self. self. Yeah. So I'm speaking with Janina Leppard, musician, clinical social worker, and author of the book Diamonds in the Rough, which she shared an excerpt from. And we were talking about the concepts in there. The other book you wrote, Janina, is called The Fashioner, Reflections on the Role of Music and the Arts in Building a Global Community. Why don't you tell us about that book? Okay. There is a quote from Baha'u'llah, the prophet founder of the Baha'i Faith, which says, Through the mere revelation of the word fashioner, issuing forth from his lips, his meaning God's lips, and proclaiming his attribute to mankind, such power is released as can generate through successive ages all the manifold arts which the hands of man can produce. This verily is a certain truth. So what does that quotation mean for you? So if the attribute of God, which are infinite, right, the attributes of God, but the one in which... God is referred to as the fashioner. So through the issuing of the word fashioner, we have the arts in the world. Thus, the title, the fashioner, and then the role of music in the arts. So what inspired you to write this book, and what does the book convey to the reader? 
the idea for the book actually came from the then director of Baha'i Publishing, Tim Moore. After Diamond in the Rough, he wasn't just going to let me go back to my married life. He said, okay, how about another book? How about a book on the arts? Because he knew I loved the arts. And I was like, uh, okay. (laughs) And I started thinking about how do you write a book about the arts? I mean, what do you do? How do you convey the arts? And so I thought about talking with artists from different backgrounds. Since I'm a musician myself, I naturally am inclined towards music, which is why the title is Music and the Arts, because there is a little more emphasis on music, partly because of my background and partly because the Baha'i writings talk more extensively about music than any of the arts, although they talk about all of them. The second part of the book is about the arts at the grassroots. Currently, the Baha'i world is engaged in several community activities all around the world, the same activities of children's classes, junior youth groups, study circles, devotional meetings, home visits. The use of the arts in these activities makes them come alive. And so the second part of the book, each chapter is about each of those core activities and learning from people I was able to speak with who were very involved in using the arts in those core activities, what they were doing and what the results were like. I'm speaking with Janina Leppard, musician, clinical social worker, and author of The Fashioner, Reflections on the Role of Music and the Arts in Building a Global Community. So these activities you were referring to, children's classes, junior youth activities, and so on, the purpose, I assume, is to build this global community? Exactly. You're a musician, so what is your musical forte? What kind of music do I do? Yeah. I'm a pianist, primarily. I majored in music in high school and college, and I have a master's in music education, and I also sing primarily choral music, but I did take voice lessons and so forth. Mm-hmm. A little bit of composing Not a lot, but a little bit. And primarily classical music, but I love all kinds of music. Right. Do you have an excerpt that you can read for us? Yeah. Red Grammer is a well-known performer of songs for children and families. His son, Andy Grammer, is kind of a pop music phenomenon at the moment. But I've known Red for a long time, so... I got to speak with him as part of this book, but this excerpt goes back before that. In 2008, I'm reading this excerpt, I attended a session of Kansas Baha'i Spring School, and Red was the featured presenter. He talked emphatically about the need for arts to be performed live at community gatherings, and he made the seminar so welcoming that I found myself sharing something personal with the group that I had set a passage from Baha'u'llah's writings, the first paragraph of the Rizwan tablet, to music about 25 years earlier 
and had considered performing it at a recent Baha'i Holy Day celebration, but was too shy to do so. Using recorded music seemed much safer. Upon hearing this, Red insisted that I play and sing the piece for the group of more than 50 people, and he was very encouraging about it. I was aware that I was being used as an example of the point Red was making, and since that was such a valid point, I complied. Red's urging was contagious, and I hardly felt nervous at all as I prepared to share the piece. I might add that it was while studying the Ruhi Institute book, The Twin Manifestations, that I remembered that long-forgotten piece of music, which I had never written down. Fortunately, I had been able to recreate it and have subsequently played it at a Holy Day gathering and at a reflection meeting for a cluster, a region in which core activities are planned by the friends together. At that particular reflection meeting, everyone was invited to share an artistic endeavor, and everyone did have something to share, including stories, singing, and artwork. Not surprisingly, the spirit animating that meeting brought the cluster to a new level of understanding and commitment to the community building process. Did you ever record that piece? No. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And you know what? I recently played it for another Holy Day celebration, and it's been a while, and my voice has lowered, so I had to transpose the whole thing down. (laughs) Gravity taking its effect. So I'm speaking with Janina Leppard, musician, clinical social worker, and author of the book, The Fashioner, Reflections on the Role of Music and the Arts, Building a Global Community. So how about an excerpt from the second part of the book? I'd like to talk about home visits and the use of the arts there. I have absolutely fallen in love with that particular activity because... As a friend of mine put it a while back, if you really want to encourage someone to open up, if you meet in a public place, they'll give you a little bit. If they meet at your house, they'll give you a little bit more. But if you meet them at their house, they will open up. Now, this is not to put anybody in a vulnerable place where they're going to get, you know, attacked or something. It's to open hearts, to build bonds between hearts. So this is what I'll share with you from this uh, chapter. When we combine home visits with cultural and artistic activities, the results can be absolutely joyous and radiant. For example, when my family and I stayed in French Polynesia, this was back in 2007, and 2006. To help the friends there develop the core activities, we learned that home visits are a natural part of French Polynesian culture and are very easy to do, especially when music and the arts are incorporated into the visits. While we were there, my family and I would frequently visit fellow Baha'is or friends of Baha'is unannounced and see how they were doing. We might then suggest that we sing together and the songs were often inspired by the Baha'i sacred writings. This collective singing would bring great joy to the person receiving the visit and to all of us. There is a special bonding that singing together can help nurture, one that transports us to the spiritual realm. 
No matter what occasion for the home visit, it was always very inspiring to see the artistic talents of individuals cultivated through arts. There is greater apprehension among American Baha'is regarding home visits in the United States since we have fallen out of the habit of simply dropping in on our neighbors. But here, too, the arts can help us overcome these inhibitions. In this connection, I have been inspired to incorporate the arts in the visits I make to friends. And this use of the arts actually provides an excuse to get together and opens the door to easier communication. When I make visits to friends and neighbors, I often bring beautifully adorned quotations from the Baha'i sacred writings created as a service by artistic Baha'is, and I offer them as gifts. My friends always welcome these artistic expressions, and these gifts uplift the spiritual atmosphere of our encounters. Home visits can also be made to comfort those who are sick or suffering hardship, and music and the arts, along with prayers, can cheer the hearts of these tender souls. The spiritual benefits of visits to the elderly, the housebound, or the infirm in their homes, either in teams or as part of an individual initiative, can be incalculable for someone who otherwise may be unable to participate in community events. Offering to conduct a study circle or devotional gathering in the home of such friends, if they are well enough, and asking them to invite friends and family can invigorate and encourage them, draw families and communities closer together, and be a rich source of healing fellowship for everyone involved. Some of the friends I have visited in my own community have been sick or elderly, and they always appreciate it when our visits include some form of artistic expression, especially healing prayers that have been artfully rendered and decorated. In fact, one of my friends who is not a Baha'i, Claire, a wheelchair-bound African-American woman who lives alone, proudly displays in her house a framed Baha'i quotation I gave her during one of our visits. She has commented on the spiritual and artistic beauty of this and other quotations, and how she feels great joy when we share the arts in this way. I feel that the quotations also help bring us together spiritually, despite our different racial backgrounds. Another close friend, Tony, and her family always look forward to hearing Baha'i prayers, provided I end with Amen. This has become <laughs> a standing joke. And That's Claire great. and Tony were tickled to bits when <laughs> they saw that I had put this in the book. So I'm speaking with Janina Leopard, musician, clinical social worker, and author of the book, The Fashioner, Reflections on the Role of Music and the Arts in Building a Global Community, which she just read a second excerpt from. Now, Janina, this whole concept of music, specifically in the arts, reminds me of a quote from Baha'u'llah, where he says, we have made music a ladder by which souls may ascend to the realm on high. Absolutely. Yeah. And then he says, change it not into wings for self and passion. So, you know, just like anything that's the capability of the human being, it can be used for a high purpose or it could be used for a low purpose. Exactly. Yeah. There's a brief third section, and that is looking towards the future. With each interview, I ask the question, how do you envision the use of the arts in a future society? And Red Grammar told me this story. 
This is the story. I have a friend who went to Ireland in the 1980s. He was a hammer dulcimer player and performed British Isles music. And he came and said, we performed, then we went back to someone's home. And all night long, every single person in the room, whether they be four or 98 years old, got up and either danced, recited poetry, sang a song, played the fiddle, or performed in some other way. There was no one who did nothing. The vision of that is a beautiful thing. Think of what artistic creations are waiting to be found, inspired by this revelation. Think about all the literary works that have been inspired by biblical references. Then think about how much more we have to draw from in this one revelation. There's a place for anyone, whether he or she writes family music or writes sacred Baha'i music or writes adult music. So that is one. And then I wanted to share something Rain Wilson said, who is an extremely profound thinker, and it was my joy to interview him twice for this book. If you've ever heard him speak, he is eloquent, with a capital E. So what Rain says, this, this is just the end of what he says, because he, he has a lot to say. He says, the arts are a form of service to others, and because they make the world a more connected place, they can be the perfect glue that can bring together divided communities and even heal the divisions created by the ravages of war. And then he refers to the Universal House of Justice's work called Century of Light, which reflected on the spiritual achievements of the 20th century, gave a number of examples of the power of music and art to heal societies torn apart by conflict. Oh, and then one final thing I would like to add, which is, this is a quote from Shoghi Effendi, the guardian of the Baha'i faith. The day will come where the cause will spread like wildfire, when its spirit and teachings will be presented on stage or in art and literature as a whole. Art can better awaken such noble sentiments than cold rationalizing, especially among the mass of the people. What Rain Wilson said is very profound because there is so much war and division in this world and music can really be the glue that can bring people together. So I'm speaking with Janina Leppard, musician, clinical social worker, and author of two books. One is Diamonds in the Rough, which we spoke about earlier, and then one we're speaking about now is called The Fashioner, Reflections on the Role of Music and the Arts in Building a Global Community. So, Janino, do you have a next project that you're considering? I had an idea for a book about how people who have become Baha'is that are not first generation, their parents and their maybe two or three generations back have been Baha'is. And it's a different experience. You know, I'm first generation. My husband, Brian, is second generation. His parents were Baha'is. And our children are third generation. Different experience for everyone. Because no one can tell these things better than people. And that's part of what I do is talking to people, right, as a clinical social worker. Mm -hmm. My idea is to speak to 
people who are not first-generation Baha'is and ask how have they made the faith their own, where it's not doing it to please anybody else. Because individual uh, investigation isn't just for people who have never heard of Baha'u'llah, it's for people who have. You know, oftentimes I'll interview second or third generation Baha'is and I'll ask them, you know, at what point in their lives did the Baha'i faith become their religion instead of the religion of their parents? And it's always interesting to hear somebody tell that experience. Well, uh, gee, tell it's... me who you've asked and I'll... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So are you first generation? I am. So I, I guess you wouldn't be eligible for this book. No. <laughs> The longer time goes on, the more unusual it's going to be for someone to be a first generation, right? Right. One's heart needs to be engaged. Well, Janina, thank you so much for sharing these things with us. Thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Janina Leppard, musician, clinical social worker, and author of two books, Diamonds in the Rough and The Fashioner. Reflections on the Role of Music and the Arts in Building a Global Community. You can find her books at BahaiBookstore.com. You can find this interview and other interviews at AbahaiPerspective.com and on the YouTube channel, A Baha'i Perspective. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes by searching for A Baha'i Perspective. For information specifically on the Baha'i faith, you can go to the website baha'i.org or you can call the toll-free number 1-800-22-UNITE. I hope you'll join me next time on A Baha'i Perspective.
Listen, can you hear the sound of hearts beating all the world around? Down in the valley, out on the plain, everywhere around the world, the heartbeat sounds the same, like a white. Red or tan, it's the heart of the family of man. Whoa, it's beating away. Whoa, it's beating away. Whoa, it's beating away. Listen, can you hear the sound? Laughter. Everywhere around the world, laughter sounds the same to me. Black or white, red or tan, it's the sound of the This is WXOJLP Northampton, 103.3 FM, your Valley Free Radio Station, streaming at www.valleyfreeradio.org.